You know, there are some days I'm pretty convinced that I could really use therapy. And there are some days where my wife is absolutely convinced that I could use therapy. You know, sometimes just the, the simplest of choices can drive me nuts. You know, like one of my peeves, one of my obsessive compulsives, I just hate to choose the wrong line. You know what I mean? When you're at the grocery store or you're at the airport, you know, or, or, or when you're in traffic. You know, the other day I had to go over to a doctor's appointment at the Lay Clinic, and, and um, I got out of there late enough, I was stuck in the afternoon traffic. So I'm in the middle lane, and, and it's so hard to tell whether you're in the right lane or not, the one that's going the fastest, because I don't, I don't want to choose the wrong one, you know? Because sometimes you're sitting still, and the other guys are going 20 miles an hour, and other times you're going 20 miles an hour, and they're sitting still, and you, and you can never tell. So you've got to pick out the tow truck over here and the green beetle over here, and so you can gauge how fast. And it just drives me nuts. I'm one of those guys, back to the fast lane, back over there. You know, I swear, that's me, you know? Same at the airport. It just drives you nuts when, when you're standing, you're still waiting to put your stuff in those gray buckets so you can slide it through the x-ray machine, and the guy who's behind you in line when you came through the passport section or whatever, is he, he's already going through the, the scanner. It's like, you chose a wrong line. It just drives me nuts, you know? I don't like paying too much for something. I swear, one time I returned, I, I bought the same Christmas gift three different times, all right, because I kept finding it cheaper somewhere else, you know. I think there were flash drives I've given to each of the, the kid, you know, the kids, and, and so, you know, I found this was cheaper, and then it was cheaper here and cheaper here, so, you know, I probably spent more money on gas going back and forth and returning stuff than I actually saved in money, but it just drives me nuts to do that. I can remember when first time I was really diagnosed with allergies and my doctor told me I needed to get some Zyrtec, you know, so I, we had one of these coupons to BJ's for the brand name to get, you know, like three or five dollars off or whatever it was. And so I went up there and bought this stuff right at home. I started taking it and I was back to BJ's like four or five days later. And I said, well, those, you know, those dirty pills aren't going to last too long. And I started looking and the Berkeley and Jensen brand was like, you know, like a half the price for twice as many pills. And it just drove me nuts. I had paid too much, you know. I really could use therapy. So. But, you know, it, it, it just strikes me that there are certain things in our lives that we're obsessive-compulsive about in terms of some choices. You know, we all got our little areas, you know, whether it's, you just can't settle unless you have the best tools, you know what I mean, or, or the best cookware or the perfect shoes or whatever, you know. We, we get obsessed with certain things. We just got to have the best, you know. And yet there are other times when some of the most important things in our lives we settle for second best. Or we don't even really think much about what is that best. You know, one of those areas is in the marriage. We were talking about this yesterday in our men's breakfast. You know, I've, I've never had a couple sit in my office as a part of pre-marriage counseling and me say to them, well, what are your goals for your marriage? And they say, well, I just, we just kind of want it to be okay. I've never had a couple say that to me. And I'll say, I, I, we, we just want to have a great relationship and really fall more in love with each other and become best friends and have kids and, you know, the whole, they, they want it to be great. And a lot of times you talk to them 10 years into it and it's like, well, it's kind of okay. And they settle for less than best. I got to tell you, another place where we do that is spiritually. God offers us his best and sometimes we just settle for eh. I want you to turn your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4. I, I, I want to show you something from this text. Something that I had missed before, but something that's really speaking to me today that I want to introduce to us as a part of our series about what does it really mean to live our lives 
with hearts that are compelled by the things that compel the heart of God. And we've been working through this journey as we've been talking about reaching. You know, Jesus came, I came you know, his, his passion was to seek and to save that which was lost. And we've talked about what is it that, that is, as people who are compelled by the heart of God, it, it has to be our passion to see people kind of get from their houses to God's house, if you will, for, the, for them to be, for us to connect personally and connect corporately with those around us who are in need of Christ. We need to be people who are excited and passionate about reaching out to others in many different ways. We've been talking about the fact that there needs to be a passion for us to connect with God's people. That, that you know, last week we looked at a very, I think, unique passage in Matthew 18, which really has to deal with the concept of restoring brothers or church discipline, depending upon how you want to phrase it. But in the midst of that, Jesus makes this incredible promise to us where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst of us. And, and with that, there's this special ability for us to sense what it is that God is doing, what God wants to do, and to reflect his presence as we are connected to one another. There's something marvelous that goes on there. And today I want to look at this next aspect of growing. And here, here's something that God showed me from this text that I, I really had, had missed before. Now, Paul's writing to the Ephesians church. Paul's in prison in Rome, Okay? And he's writing to the Ephesians church. He's had a deep relationship with them. You know, he's, he's seen them on, the, uh, on his final journey back to Jerusalem. The elders came down and talked to him. He's got a real passion for this church. And he's, he's laid out once again what God has done for them in Christ in chapters 1 through 3. And here in chapter 4, he begins to, to turn it into the practical and what are they supposed to do. And, and pick up with verse 11 with me in chapter 4. And if, if you're using one of our pew Bibles, our text today is page 995. And this is what Paul writes, with, beginning with verse 11. He says, and he personally, that's a reference to God, he personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the training of the saints in the work of ministry so they could build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith in the knowledge of God's Son Growing into a man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Now, we, we go to this passage of scriptures, and there's a lot of stuff to pull out. I mean, you know, we love to have this conversation and understanding about who are the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and pastors and teachers and what are their roles in the church and which exists. And, and, and that's wonderful study for us to get into. This idea of, of being equipped trained for the training of the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. But here, here's what I want you to see from this text that in many ways I hadn't seen before. And let me go back and use this word here at the beginning of verse 11. It says, and he personally, God personally gave apostles, prophets, so that the saints could be trained so that what would happen is that all of us would reach the pinnacle of our faith. Unity in the faith. All of us would reach the measure of the stature of Christ, Christ's likeness. It was God's passion, so much so that you and I could experience his best, Christ likeness, perfection here on earth. It was God's passion, so much so that when he brought the community together, he specifically engineered it, designed it, and equipped it so that you and I could get to the place where we're experiencing his best. That we are growing into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
We think about these roles and who's in them and this and that and the equipping thing and bringing the believers. That's all great stuff. But don't lose sight of the fact that it is God's passion. And he's designed everything that we are a part of in the spiritual community so that you and I can grow in Christ. That's God's passion. He personally gave apostles and pastors. Why? So the saints could be equipped. And as the saints are equipped, they're doing their thing and working with one another. And the result is that every single one of us can grow to a place where we're Christ-like. Because God wants to give us his best. If you and I are going to be people who are beating with the heart of God in our chests, we have to be passionate about growing in Christ and seeing other people growing in Christ. Because God, when he engineered the body that's connected to Christ, he engineered it so that everybody in it could grow. Because that's his passion. That's his heartbeat. It has to be our heartbeat. Now, when you start thinking about spiritual growth, there's a couple of words I want to plant into your mind today. Okay? And, and they both start with C. And, and, it, and, I, and I'm going to loosely kind of take them from a statement that Jesus made to his disciples. You know, he, he'd been doing some hard teaching about discipleship and et cetera, and he, and he finally he turned to his disciples and says, you know, if anyone wants to come after me, if anybody wants to grow, okay, here's what they're going to do. They're going to deny themselves, and they're going to take up their cross daily and come follow me. Now, I see in those words these two ideas, that in order for you and I to grow in Christ, first of all, we have to learn how to cooperate with what God's already doing with us. We need to deny ourselves, get out of the way, and stop preventing what God is already eager to do within us. And then we need to take up our cross and collaborate and work alongside God to actually grow in our faith. Now, I've asked George. George is going to come and talk to us just a little bit about the basis upon which we can talk about spiritual development or growth as a matter of simply cooperating with God. So, George, welcome. Thank you. And this isn't about life groups, so that's cool. Uh, let's see here. Clicker? Oh, there it is. Yes. All right. Cooperating with God. Uh, my wife and I, we were um, off at, uh, at Rockport, and I saw this shirt that if a man speaks at sea where no woman can hear, is he still wrong? Um, and I got to thinking, man, I wonder if women feel this way, because I'm a man and I'm going to speak on Sunday. And so anyway, I may need some therapy too. But, um, oh, sorry, that got in the wrong file there. All right, uh, here's where I really want to begin. I used to work for uh, Sears as an appliance salesman. And um, one day I was back in the break room with a guy named Ethan. And we were just chatting. And his wife suddenly appeared at the door, and I had the pleasure of meeting her and of meeting their child. But it was an unsettling experience to uh, meet their child because she was holding him as if he was an infant, but his hands were enlarged, and his, he had teeth, and he had long hair. And... He told me what the syndrome was that his son had, and I, I didn't know what it was. But it, it made me a little uneasy. And I'm sure for them it was a, a great uneasiness when they started 
realizing that their son wasn't going to develop uh, normally. <clears throat> and so uh, I was reading one day in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I saw the Apostle Paul almost like a uh, spiritual pediatrician, looking at the Corinthian believers who had been Christians now for six years at the time that he wrote these words, and he was unsettled. He was uneasy about the lack of spiritual development in their lives. This is what he said. He said, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as spiritually mature people, but as people who are like the unbelieving people of the world, like mere infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still not acting like the, you are still acting like the unbelieving people of the world, like the people in whom the Holy Spirit does not dwell. You see, somehow the Apostle Paul expected that there would have been more spiritual growth and development in a person in six years of being in Christ than he was seeing in the Corinthians. Uh, they were thinking and feeling and acting and reacting and, um, and uh, their attitudes were so much like the people of the world. They uh, had uh, more of the fruit of the flesh in them than the fruit of the spirit. Uh, they were very uh, uh, divisive. They were arguing with one another and uh, just acting like the Holy Spirit didn't even live within them. And he was very concerned about this abnormal development. Now, we know that when a child is born, that within that child there are these natural forces of maturation that God has put in them. Assuming that everything is normal, that child is going to begin laying down and then rolling over and then being able to crawl and then being able to stand up and then being able to walk and then being able to run. The child is going to move from uh, uh, infancy into becoming a toddler, into becoming an adolescent, into becoming a young adult, into becoming a mature adult. And uh, it's that way spiritually as well. There are supernatural forces of maturation that are at work within the person who has been born of God. And we begin with a crawl in our faith, and then we can stand up, and then finally we can walk with God. We begin as spiritual infants, and we develop into spiritual toddlers, and then spiritual adolescents, and then spiritual young people, and then spiritually mature people. There's these uh, stages of development that we go through because God has put natural forces of maturation within us. And there's some verses of scripture that kind of point this out to me, and I'd like to point them out to you. Philippians 1.6, for example, that God who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. In other words, God who brought you to himself and uh, made you into his child, he's not just going to leave it there. 
He's going to continue working in you until you are a complete and final product, a person that's like Jesus Christ. Um, Ephesians 2.10 is another uh, great verse along these lines. We are God's workmanship. And I love the Greek word there. It's poema, from which we get our word poem. And uh, I'm not much of a poet. I wrote one in third grade that uh, continues to amuse me to this day. Uh, there was a dog. His name was Fred. Fred was different because he was red. Then one night he went to bed. The next morning he woke up dead. Uh, now that's about the best I can do with poetry, you know. Uh, but my teacher, she was baffled as to how did Fred wake up dead? Uh, I said, I don't know. I just wrote the poem. It rhymes. It's got rhythm. That's your problem, you know. Um, but anyway, if you think about poetry, if you think about literature, if you think about uh, producing a good film, if you think about any of uh, producing like the, the men did with our steps here, this, this beautiful pulpit that we have, I mean, these are works of craftsmanship. There's an art to them. There's work putting being put into them. And that's what God says that he's doing in our lives. Here's where he's going with it all. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we are being transformed into Christ's likeness. And I have a special fascination with that word transformed, which in Greek is metamorpheo. And I only mention that because our word metamorphosis comes out of it. And it's a beautiful illustration because metamorphosis is the process by which a, a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. Now, I think caterpillars are ugly. I think butterflies are pretty. Um, but look at the nature, the different nature. The one can only crawl, and the other can fly. Uh, the one is rather homely. The other is rather beautiful. And God is taking our lives, and he's making something, transforming them into something beautiful. But then there's Philippians 2.13. God is at work in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. If you're born again, if you're a child of God, God is at work in you uh, to make you into the person that he wants you to be. Now, let's just flesh that out a little bit. And we could study all of these verses and take two months of sermon on them and study the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. But we don't have time for that this morning. So if you can just allow me to draw a synopsis of it all and allow me just a few moments to read the list, um, this would give you a feel for what the Holy Spirit is doing when he says that he is working in your life. He uh, enables us to see uh, God for whom he is. He enlightens our minds to understand his truths and ways. He helps us recall scriptural truths in an hour of need. He makes his word real to our lives. He helps us identify errors in our thinking and living. He convicts our conscience when we sin. He places holy thoughts and desires within us. He gives us impulses to refrain from sin and selfishness and to do right. He leads us in decision-making and shows us the proper next steps. He gives us the courage we need to live righteously. He gives us the resolve and the willpower that we need to do the will of God. Furthermore, or in relation to that, he... Um, compels us to reach people. He compels us to get connected to that uh, uh, house of uh, God's family 
uh, as Pastor Neil just explained, where we can grow. He compels us to grow. And he compels us, as you'll see next week, to serve. These are works of the Holy Spirit. He's in us. He's working in us. He's trying to make us um, that way and to do those things. So we can praise God today that um, our spiritual growth and development is not all up to us. Could you imagine if it was? We would be pitiful because we don't have those desires that God places uh, within us. We need those working in us in order to obey his commands. But as you've undoubtedly sensed, while this is all true, spiritual growth is not automatic. We must cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit. And there's no verse of scripture that, uh, no verses of scripture that make this clearer to me than Ephesians, uh, excuse me, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, where it says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in a order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, the word salvation, uh, as good evangelical Christians, our knee-jerk uh, reaction when we see that word salvation is to think of salvation from the penalty of the eternal condemnation that we deserve because of our sins. But that is not what it's referring to here. There's other usages, usages of the word salvation in scripture, including being saved from the power of sin, the sin nature, having control over our lives, <coughs> being saved from the very presence of sin, where we'll be in heaven and we'll be glorified and we'll be like Jesus and we won't have to wrestle with sin anymore, that ultimate salvation. And then there's uh, also a usage in scripture where salvation refers to being delivered from the problems of life, being delivered from uh, illnesses and financial troubles and uh, enemies and death threats. And you can go through the Psalms and see uh, all that. And in fact, in the Psalms, I don't think the word salvation once means uh, deliverance from the penalty of sin. Uh, take that with you into your devotions and Psalms. But the best usage of the word salvation in this passage is that second one, being uh, when you study the context, being saved from the sin nature controlling our lives and enabling us to live a righteous life unto God. Now, what I really want you to see, I had to lay that background, but what I really, really, really want you to see is this. It says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. You see, God works in us, and we work out what God works in. We work to the outside of our lives what God works in. We work to the outside of our lives, meaning uh, our behaviors, our actions, our reactions, our uh, attitudes, the things that we say and don't say. We work what God is working on the inside to the outside of our lives by cooperating with the Holy Spirit. And how does that get done? It's tied up in the word obedience because 
if we were to take these verses and zoom out from them a little bit and see a bigger picture, he says, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only when I was with you, but also when I wasn't with you, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so he's saying that, uh, you know, obedience, obeying God's commands is the way that we take what God, God is putting on the inside of us and we work it to the outside of us. But let me just clarify one other thing. We're to do this with fear and trembling. This is not talking about fear and trembling of eternal condemnation. It's not talking about fear and trembling of losing our salvation. This is talking about being really seriously minded about overcoming sin. I mean, one time Jesus, speaking about overcoming sin, said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Gouge out your eye. Take this thing seriously because sin is a powerful force in our lives. It's a destructive force in our lives. And we want to be fearful of sin. And as a result, we want to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Let me close with this illustration. I love this. It works for me. I hope it works for you. Jesus one time encounters a man with a shriveled hand. His hand is immobile. And Jesus commands him, stretch out your hand. Now, why would you command someone to do something that's impossible? That man had a defective arm. He could not stretch out his hand. But Jesus tells him to because Jesus first worked in him and then he was able to obey. Jesus encounters people every day who have uh, the inability to obey his commands. Those people are you and me. And he must work in us first before we can obey his commands. So let's appreciate and praise God and be aware of the fact that God is working in us. And then as we set out to obey him, let's appreciate the fact that he will empower us as we cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So what we've established is that a part of spiritual growth is just getting out of the way and let God do in us what he's going to do. Deny yourself. Get out of the way. Allow God to take over and do what he wants to do within you. That's why he's given us the Holy Spirit. He's at work within us. Now, one of the wonderful tensions in Scripture is that God's sovereign, but in the midst of his sovereignty, we still have responsibilities. So even though God's at work in us to make sure that we experience his best of becoming full into the maturity of Christ, we actually grow spiritually, God says, you still got work to do. And that's the phrase that I want to use under the collaboration. Even though God's in charge, God's at work in us, he's trying to work it from the inside out, there's still parts of it that you and I have to do. So we need to deny ourselves, and then we have to take up our cross daily and to follow him. Now, I've been thinking about discipleship for a long, long time. And I had a pleasure on, on Friday night to share some of these thoughts with the, the WPI students when I was, had a chance to be down there. And I'm going to kind of encapsulate some of those today. But when you think about our responsibility in joining God and embracing, making the best choice to receive all of Christ into our lives and to live with Christ-likeness, 
There's an aspect of that journey that's linear. We move from spiritual infancy to being toddlers to being to adolescents to being adults then being mature adults and then being over the hill adults and then being elderly adults and you know there's a progression to it right or we move from knowing less to knowing more from following to leading from being taught to teach there's a progressiveness to it there's a linearness to it but there's also an aspect in our spiritual journey that's cyclical. We just need to do the same things over and over and over again. Now, what I want you to understand is those two things are inseparable. Let me, let me give you an illustration. I got to get my prop, okay? So this is kind of like the price is right. We'll see what's behind door number two, all right? I got a bicycle here, right? Specific, specifically, I got my wife's bicycle with the whole fancy things in the jiggies. Now, What's the purpose of a, motor, of a bicycle? I like them with motors on them, actually. It's a little easier that way. What's the purpose of a bicycle? You move forward on it, right? I mean, if you stand still, unless you're really good, you're just going to clunk over on your head. And I've done that where I can't get my things out. You come up to the stop sign, and you can't get your, your clips out, and you just right over, and everybody's laughing at you as they're driving by. Been there and done that several times. You want to move forward. What, what does it take to move forward? You've got to pedal. You've got to do the same thing over and over and over again. Spiritually, our movement forward to grow is based upon repetitive movements that we do over and over again. Our, our, our progress is driven by repeating the same steps over and over again. And, and this may be an oversimplification, but for the sake of time, let me just put it into three categories for you. If you and I are going to be people who are beating with the heartbeat of God to actually grow and experience Christ-likeness in our lives, there are three basic things that we've got to be doing over and over and over again. Because if we don't, we're just going to coast to a stop. It'd be really nice, wouldn't it, spiritually, if you just go to a place where it's all downhill? That's when I really like to ride a bike is when it's going downhill, right? You can just kind of go. It doesn't work that way. You've got to keep pedaling. Well, what are those things? Well, one of the things I can tell you is you've got to be a person of prayer. You are going to drift to a stop and fall over on the side of the road in your efforts to grow spiritually if you're not a person of prayer. You just have to be a person of prayer. And, and, and I'm amazed at how many believers are... are lack confidence in their ability to really pray. You know, when I call on people at the end of our services to pray, these are people that I know are okay with it because most of you would be scared to death if I called on you to pray at the end of a service. You know, so I select our elders or those who have been elders before, deacons or other folks that I'm confident because most of us are intimidated by that. But prayer isn't a, isn't a real complicated thing. But it's something we need to become masters at and do over and over again. I, I remember when I was serving as a, an intern the summer that Christina and I got married here. And I, I, we'd gone off, I'd gone off to seminary in Texas, and we'd come back to this area for the summer. And, and I was serving as an intern with a network of churches in Boston. And so one of the assignments they gave me was to be the interim pastor of the First Baptist Church of Chelsea. Now, this is a church that was well over 100 years old really situated kind of right downtown on the square in Chelsea. But it was only a group of about 10 or 12 people. 
and they had one old, really older woman, and everybody else were, in some ways, just really spiritual beginners. So my assignment was to lead services on Sunday and to lead a Bible study on Wednesday nights, kind of like a prayer meeting thing. So we were meeting in the office um, the f- very first Wednesday night, and I was, and so we got to the end of the, the, the time together, and I said, well, let's just have a season of prayer, so we'll bow our heads, and we'll just go around the circle and pray. You know, so the person to my left starts, and it starts to go around the room, and we get about halfway around the group of about the eight or nine of us, and there's just a long period of silence. person is just, you know, and, and no prayer, you know, and I'm cheating, I'm looking up, and I'm thinking, oh, you know, that kind of thing, see who it is, you know, and, and then finally, without lifting it or whatever, this, this woman by the name of Dorothea Peters said, I don't know how to pray. She's been in the church for a while, knew Christ, studying the Bible, Allison knows her. I got a letter from Dorothea 20 years later telling me, you know, your, your counsel to, to me that night changed my spiritual trajectory. And now she's been a youth leader in a number of churches and engaged in leadership and just really a, a strong, mature believer. But me, with all of my great theological wisdom from a year of seminary behind me, without lifting my head, I simply said, just, just talk to God from your heart. And that's what she did. And it, it was an awkward prayer, but it was a powerful prayer. And prayer is just a matter of talking to God from our hearts. Now, there probably should be some elements to go around that. And if you'd like a little prayer, let me give you just a, a really a basic rudimentary entry-level kind of thing. Just, just take the word pray and work through the letters. P stands for praise. When you pause for prayer in this repetitive cycle, just make sure you praise God for who he is or what he's done or what he's doing in you. Then the R could stand for repentance. What is it that you need to confess to God and ask God for forgiveness and, and ask God's power in you so you can change and move in a different direction? You need to repent. The A could stand for another. It's always appropriate to pray for other people. So pray for another. And the Y could stand for yourself, just to, to pray for yourself spiritually, financially for many of us, right? Vocationally, maritally, relationally, all kinds. Pray for yourself. That God, it's a wonderful strategy. And, and I got to tell you, some of you heard my hairdryer story from a few weeks ago. That was my morning quiet time was to sit under one of those big, you know, over-the-head hairdryers at our kitchen table and connect with God when I was, was passionately in love with God as a, as a teenager. That's the formula I used. I kept a journal of P and R and A and Y. It was incredible to see what God did in, in those days. Secondly, you've got to be in the Word. You've got to be a person of the Word. You know, Jesus said, you know, man doesn't live by bread alone, right? Man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You, you and I have to be in the Word. We have to be students of the Word. We've got to be eating the Word, consuming the Word. That's a part of our repetitive cycle and growing spiritually. That's how we need to collaborate with God, being in the Word. That's why it says that all Scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for us. It drives us forward in our spiritual growth. Many of you, even today, would say, you know, if I walked out this door, I, I wouldn't know how to study the Word. You know, I, I don't know how to open the Bible and just kind of feed myself from it. Now, we can change that because we have some great equipping tools and other kinds of things, but let me just give you just a rudimentary process to follow. This is what I call Neil's simplified version of Bible study, the NSV, right? You know, it's, it's one, it's, it's, it's simply just to ask 
as you read a passage, what does the text say? What does it say? What is God intending to say? What did he say to the people who first read it? And what is he still saying through his word today? What does it say? Then answer the so what question. So how does that apply to me? How does that apply to me today? To take it out of the, the past and move it into the What is God saying to me from this passage today? And then to ask simply the what now question. How is it that I'm going to respond to that word today? You know, I, I remember when we were going back through the 40 days of the, in the word campaign that we had a, a little about a year and a half ago. And we were looking at various methods of looking at the scriptures with the probe it and the pronounce it and personalize it and all that kind of stuff. I remember how many of us found really corny but also very helpful using this little acrostic that Rick Warren shared with us. It was the word space pets. Remember that? I mean, remember this space pets term? You know, you're thinking, how stupid is this, right? But I tell you what, if you follow that acrostic, it can really help you in unlocking God's word. You know, is there any sin to confess? You know, is there any promise to claim? You know, is there any attitude to change? Any command to follow? You know, is there any example to follow? You know, is, is there any prayer that we need to pray? Is there any, you know, is there any... Um, um, error that we need to avoid? Is there any truth that we need to believe and claim? Is there any, any, something we need to praise God for? You know, those are great ways just to unlock it, but in order to grow spiritually, we've got to be collaborating with God's activity by pedaling the bike of being in the Word with God. And then lastly, you just have to do it in spiritual community. You've got to do it with other people. Faith is always a team sport. You know, the, if you get onto the obscure channels, you know, the, the, the Tour de France just ended not too long ago, right? Some of you watch that. I, I got people in our family that are just into riding kind of thing. There's a strategy to that. And they don't go out and ride by themselves. They ride in a team. And the, somebody's out front breaking the wind and extending their dude. They work together because they can get there. You got to do it together in spiritual community. That's why we emphasize life groups. We're never going to stop emphasizing life groups. There's one thought, though, I want to plant in your head. Some of you have been doing some of this stuff, but one of the things that I, I, I'm aware of is that sometimes we do this stuff, and we're not, we're not getting anywhere. There isn't any progress. It's kind of like, you know, we're, we're, we've got the plastic hammer we got as a toddler, but now that we're trying to be framers, we're still trying to use the same plastic hammer, you know? There's no progress in our lives. You know, it's like my father-in-law, you know, was an avid rider, and, and he hated the winter because he couldn't get out in the roads and, and ride. So he would put his bicycle up on his st study on one of those rolling wheels, and he would, he'd go in there, and he'd ride for over an hour, and he'd be sweating and et cetera, and, and yet he hadn't gone anywhere. And there's sometimes we're just kind of going through the motions, but we're not really going anywhere. There has to be a sense of progression to our prayer, to our Bible study into our spiritual community. You know, we've we got to be growing and maturing in it. You know, we, we, we always have in our lobbies these, our daily breads and those kinds of things that are available for you. And, and, and many of you take those and use those. Those are wonderful little nuggets. But I've got to tell you, if, if you've been a believer for two years, five years, 10 years, 15 years, and that's the only way that you're feeding yourself spiritually, you're, you're just coming up short. Because th those are, those are that's, that's beginning kind of stuff. And it's not bad to be able to have that as like a quick snack on the fly, but there's got to be times when you really are digging in a lot deeper than that. You know, my wife, when she gets into her quiet time on, uh, in the mornings, you know, she'll pull out her iPad, get to her passage, 
And then she stole in one of my commentaries out of my office. And she's reading along in the commentary with the word, trying to process it. George, our associate pastor, you know, his devotions right now, he's working through a study in the book of Ecclesiastes. And he's using a video series out of Right Now Ministries, you know, this thing where all of us have access because we've bought a church license. And he's feeding himself. He's going deeper with it. We, We have to have a progression to our collaborative efforts to connect with God. God has personally personally designed the church, designed everything that's around you so that you can grow into the fullness of the stature of Christ. Is that your heart? Is that our heart? Let's pray together. God, thanks again, as always, for the teaching of your word. God, don't let us settle for second best. Let us make the choices in this moment. We're not going to settle for anything less than all of Christ in our lives. God, for some of us, that means we just need to commit to cooperating with you. We've just been ignoring things that you've been saying to us. We've been preventing your activities. We've been refusing to make commitments. We've just just been resisting your activity within us. God, help us to lay it down and to cooperate with what you're calling us to do out of your passion. Father, for some of us, maybe for all of us, there's a need for us just to step on the pedals a little harder than we have in the past. To really make it a priority and a passion in our lives to join you in the things that you're doing in our lives. God, we know we we can trust that you want what's best for us. Let that become the passion of our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.